Hey friends, this is Beth Bordeaux, and this is my first podcast. It's the sermon I preached on October 12, 2019 at St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Snow Hill, North Carolina, the town where I grew up. St. Barnabas is a historical site, and we hold services there twice a year using the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Thanks for listening. The first lesson is from Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 7 through 11. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their inequities. The epistle reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along, and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? 
He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he was then passing through the region. He proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The Gospel reading for the day comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before I begin, I want to say that I'm not a Bible scholar. I've spent some time with the readings and with various commentaries, but my knowledge of the text still continues to feel somewhat elementary. I'm thankful for the opportunity today to be able to share with you and explore with you some of my thoughts. If you find yourself questioning after listening today, I encourage you to go back and explore some of your own. Do your own investigating. I'll take responsibility for sharing my thoughts today, and I encourage you to take responsibility for forming yours. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Amen. I've been reading Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. And if any of you are familiar with her work, you will see that she has flavored this sermon considerably. Braving the Wilderness is in essence about true belonging, which is so much more than just fitting in. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of fitting in. To fit in... We try to figure out what others expect of us, and then we try not to disappoint. We present ourselves in a way that reflects what we think others are wanting of us, even though sometimes it means pushing aside what we really think or what we really feel. But to belong, we have to first be true to ourselves. Then we have to own that truth even when it means not fitting in. The risk in belonging is that you might not be accepted. You might not be included. You might not be welcomed. You might find that the people that you thought were your friends are not really your friends. Being true to yourself means that you have done the soul-searching work of self-reflection, wrestling with what you believe and why. Brene calls it belonging to yourself. She says, true belonging is not passive. It's not the belonging that comes with just joining a group. It's not fitting in or pretending 
or selling out because it's safer. It's a practice that requires us to be vulnerable, to get uncomfortable, to learn how to be present with people without sacrificing who we are. Now, none of us are immune to the struggles of belonging. And it's not just a phase that teenagers are going through. Even though I would say teenagers probably have an extra helping of this. <laughs> um, what I love about the story of today's reading in Acts, which is primarily what we know about St. Philip, who we're celebrating today, is this message of inclusion. In this story, Jesus is saying to us again that no matter what we've experienced, no matter who we are, no matter how the world has received or rejected us, he sees us for our true self. He understands us, and with him we belong. In this story, we also see an example of how to be present with others, especially others who are different from us, others that we may not feel like we belong so well with, others that may make us feel uncomfortable. So in Acts, just before we get to today's reading, Philip has been doing great work in Samaria. And then the Lord calls him to take a specific path. I think this text calls it a desert road. Mine called it a wilderness road, which I like that connection with Brene. And wilderness makes me think of several different things. The reference to it first makes me think that it might not have been a very safe place. It might have been physically not a safe place. So earlier in this same text, Saul, uh, who's later to become Paul, is still in his pre-Jesus phase of wrecking havoc across the land. And we would have read where Stephen was stoned and Saul stands by watching and approving. So the wilderness kind of makes me think of like lions and tigers and bears and <laughs> bad guys and flying monkeys that are hunting us. Um, it's a dangerous place. My second thought about the wilderness path is that it might have included some soul searching for Philip. When you connect deeply with other people, you have to take time out to stay deeply connected to yourself and to God. Jesus did this. He did it in the wilderness before he ever started his ministry. And then in Luke 5.16, it says frequently he would withdraw to the wilderness places to pray. This is a time of digging deep, often into the confusing mess of our minds and our hearts. It's a place of vulnerability because eventually in the dark, we find our own truth, and then we have to bring it to light. So back on that wilderness road, Philip meets a eunuch in a chariot, reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. Philip made a connection. Hey, I hear you reading. Do you understand that? And the eunuch invites Philip up to explain it. The text also says that the eunuch was from Ethiopia. He was in charge of the queen's treasury. 
And he was coming from Jerusalem where he had been to worship. Now the eunuch is not named, which I'm always interested when someone is not named in a biblical story. I always think that there's some significance to that. Maybe he's not named because it's easier for us to relate to him in the story if he doesn't have a name. Or maybe he's not named because he actually represents not just an individual story, but a story of other people groups. Consider the LGBTQIA community or refugees who are seeking asylum or people of color who have come to this country as slaves 300 plus years ago and today continue to experience disparities in health care, education, and the workforce. A eunuch is a castrated male who looked after the queen or the female members of the royal family. In his country, he was unique and alone, not to have a family of his own, but only to serve the queen. He was from Ethiopia, which was considered the ends of the earth. He also would have likely been very dark-skinned, a very dark-skinned African, unique-looking when compared to other people in the region where he was. As a eunuch, he would have been excluded from the temple. So even though he had been to Jerusalem to worship, he would not have been allowed to enter. Philip joins him in the chariot and begins with the passage of Isaiah that he was reading in chapter 53. And Philip tells him all about Jesus. When they pass some water, the eunuch wants to be baptized. So they go into the water together, and Philip baptizes him, and then Philip is snatched away by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that part because it's just like, you know, your work here is done, move on, exclamation. Let's go back to Isaiah 53. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is set to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. This is the ultimate paradox that Jesus, who is God, would be oppressed and silent and ultimately put to death by a, a perversion of justice. The definition of oppression is unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power. Oppression is an extreme expression of exclusion. We oppress when we deny human rights, when we use dehumanizing language like the poor or the homeless or illegals or dogs, pigs, scum, when referring to a person or a group of people. 
We oppress when we treat someone else's experience or feelings as invalid. Suck it up. Be tougher. Get over it. Or you think you've got problems. Let me tell you about this. Or at least it's not as bad as it could be. We do this most when we are uncomfortable with someone else's pain or suffering. The oppressive message to the eunuch is this. While you've been given a position of power, charge over the queen's fortune, you have also been oppressed and excluded in a most dehumanizing way, literally removing a part of your body that gives you identity and that is central to the physical intimacy with another person, leaving you with a confused identity and without the ability to have a family. You are a slave. Even if you were to leave the queen's service and have land of your own to manage, you would still be a eunuch. This is oppression. I imagine that as Philip was talking with the eunuch, they might have read the scriptures together all the way through Isaiah 56, which starts like this. Maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be rewarded. Do not let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Early in my career, <clears throat> I had a boss that was a perfectionist. I was not a perfectionist. <laughs> so I often did not live up to her expectations. She had a natural harshness to her tone so when she was frustrated or angry, her words could be very hurtful. I was a tender young social worker, and every time she was disappointed in my work, which seemed often, I would come home feeling crushed. After two years of working with her, I decided to take a stand. I practiced what I would say for days. And then the time came. I did something. It wasn't exactly the way she wanted it. She started in on me. I disengaged from what she was saying. I found the words that I had been practicing. I took a deep breath and I found my strength. And then I said to her in a calm voice, please don't talk to me that way. I've told this story a million times. <laughs> it was a catalyst moment in my career and in my life. And the funny thing is, is I don't even remember what happened next. All I remember is saying those words and feeling the power of my own truth and belonging to myself. 
My hunch, when I look back on it, is that she started to respect me more after that day. But I'm not real sure, and I can't really remember. <laughs> it was absolutely a wilderness moment because I was calling her out on her behavior, and I was definitely not the person with power in the room. But once I put the spotlight on my own truth, it didn't really matter so much anymore how she responded because I belonged and I was okay and I felt brave and I felt strong. Now the unit had been searching himself for truth. Philip came along and reinforced what he was learning. Jesus identified he identified with him and he validated the deepest and most painful place inside him. And as a result, the eunuch found his truth and decided to go against tradition that excluded him and own his own truth by being baptized. This was his moment of saying, please don't talk to me that way. This is who I am. I am a son of the Most High God. I am worthy. I am strong. So here's a few steps that I want to leave you with today for yourself to take away. The first is step in. Get real with yourself. And Jesus can help you do that. The second is step out. Get outside of your comfort zone. Shine the spotlight on your own truth. Own it. Now, you don't have to be defensive about it. Remember, it's your truth. Everybody's not going to agree with you. Some people will respect you for it. Some people will reject you for it. But own your truth anyway. The third thing is to step up. When you see someone else in the wilderness, validate what they're going through. You can never do someone else's wilderness work for them. You can't fix it. But you can always help them to not feel so alone in it. Steps one and two are the best ways of doing this. In contrast, if you're not working on belonging to yourself and you're just trying to fit in, instead of becoming a person that creates space and respect for others to be true to themselves, you will be a seductive lure pulling others into a facade of agreement. Another favorite quote I have from Brene Brown is this. When a group or community doesn't tolerate dissent and disagreement, it foregoes any experience of inextricable connection. There is no true belonging, only unspoken treaty to hate the same people. This fuels our spiritual crisis of disconnection. In other words, if our relationship can't honor disagreement, we don't really have a relationship. So let me end here with what I believe that Jesus is saying to us. To the eunuch, 
who represents individuals and people groups. And to you and to me, Jesus says, I understand. I know what it's like to be oppressed. With me, you can be your true self without any shame. I see you and I welcome you. I love you. No matter what they've done to you and no matter what you've done to yourself. I understand. I know what it's like to be where you are and to feel what you feel. When they hurt you, I will heal you. When they oppress you, I will set you free. When they turn their backs on you, I will welcome you. When they call you names and dehumanize you, I will call you son. I will call you daughter. When they leave you on the side of the road to die, I will bring you home. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.